When I got into recovery in ACA and learned that it was a trauma recovery program, I knew that these specific events were traumatic, but I didn't believe they qualified me for the program because they didn't happen in my childhood years. When I came to understand about relational trauma and that it occurs from the absence of good things happening, I got, I really got that I have relational trauma, but somehow those incidents didn't qualify me for the program in my mind, which is yet another example of how deeply entrenched my denial about the dysfunction was, as is the idea that I somehow deserve that shit. That is some serious fucking denial. The relational trauma is what happened over the course of my life that set into motion my patterns of denial about what's normal and not normal, what's acceptable and unacceptable. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting. I'm a boundaries coach who specializes in helping women who are focused on what others are thinking and doing and neglect themselves in the process. And I have coached hundreds of people on how to build healthy boundaries using my exclusive build framework. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. I'm an avid beachcomber who collects sea glass, shells, wood, and stones. I am a formerly closeted fan of the Hallmark Channel, especially the Christmas movies. Hello, Christmas in July. I wear fingerless gloves from September to June because my hands are always cold, so I have about 15 pairs. And I get a huge kick out of counting how many days, weeks, and months there are until my birthday or Christmas at completely random times of the year. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on your social media and tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 218, my vulnerable share about family dysfunction and how it results in trauma. Trigger warning, I am going to share some pretty traumatic stuff that happened to me when I was a teen and I get pretty emotional while sharing it. So either make sure that you're in the right emotional state to listen, or skip this episode if you get triggered by descriptions of violence or raw displays of emotion. I talk about incidents with my father, and ironically, today is Father's Day as I record this. I've never shared in this level of detail about my trauma, and I've never gotten this emotional on a podcast before, so this is new for me. What you're going to hear shortly is a recording that I made yesterday on my phone after I went to a concert where I heard something that triggered something in me. I cried a bit at the concert, but I knew there was more to come. When I went out to the car after it was over, I started to get really emotional and I decided to record it to play on the podcast. And I want to give a shout out to Andrea Ashley, 
the host of the Adult Child Podcast because she inspired me when yesterday morning I listened to her most recent podcast episode called The Healing Power of Community and Connection. And she cried on the episode and shared very deeply and vulnerably. And I have to say, I doubt very highly that it would have even occurred to me to record my emotional share for this podcast without her vulnerability and her willingness to share the raw fucking pain of childhood trauma and family dysfunction. So thank you so much, Andrea, because that's what I'm going to share, the raw fucking pain of family dysfunction. Not only are you going to hear something that's kind of graphic and me getting really emotional, but it was also recorded on my phone, so the quality of that part will be different than the rest of this. You'll hear me say in that portion that I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a previous episode where I talked about some reparenting I've done, and I realized after the fact I didn't record that episode yet. So before I get into this, I want to briefly tell you what I was referring to. Something that has happened for me in the reparenting department in the last few months that has been a dramatic shift is that I had an experience after a meditation class and workshop that was about getting to know your shadow side, where I encountered my dad in this visualization exercise. And unlike in real life, when he was alive, he was a really loving and supportive version of my dad. And it was just very different than the experience I had in real life with him because he was not really a loving and supportive dad and often he was a fucking dick to me. So what I have done since that happened is that I've worked with this new loving version of my dad repeatedly to reparent myself and I now use him as one of my inner loving parents. That's what I'm going to talk about in the episode I do in the future. But one of the really cool things that this new version of my dad has said to me a few times is that he said, I went to heaven to get parenting lessons. And I'm like, damn, that's beautiful because he is really this loving, kind, nurturing, and supportive person now in my mind. And it seems to me like heaven is probably the best place that you could ever go to get parenting lessons. Now, I'll eventually record an episode where I go into detail about what that has looked like, but I don't want to derail from what's going on in this episode. So that's what I allude to in the phone recording. And one more thing, in the recording, I at one point say the word functional when I meant dysfunctional. Um, You'll probably figure out where that is, but here goes. On December 4th, 1980, when I was a 17-year-old high school senior, my father lost his shit and tried to strangle me. I had gotten my first report card of my senior year a couple of weeks prior, and my dad had told me that if you don't make the honor roll, you are fired from your job. I worked for him at his pharmacy. You are grounded and you can't see your boyfriend anymore. And when I got my report card, I got a D in my physics class. But worse than the D was the comment, which was not working up to potential. To my dad, that was the worst thing ever, not working up to potential. 
So I burned the report card because I didn't want my parents to see that comment. Well, I specifically didn't want my dad to see that comment. I knew that they would find out what the grade was, but I didn't think they would see the comment. And it was a while before my mom thought to ask me when I got my report card and I said, you know, I got it a while ago and she asked me where I was and I told her that I burned it and she said, why? And I said, really, it was symbolic because I knew that dad had said like everything was over. So this particular day, December 4th, my mom had gone to pick up my dad from work and I was in the kitchen when they came home and they came in through the garage and up the basement. And I remember him coming up the stairs saying, Barbara Faye, I want to talk to you. And I don't really remember exactly what he said after that, but he fucking lost it. And he went for my throat and he had me bent over the counter. And I don't remember what he was saying to me, but I also lost it. So I had sworn in front of my father before, but I had never sworn at my father. And I said to him, get your fucking hands off of me, you fucking asshole. And he told me that I was fired from my job and I was grounded. And I told him to take his job and shove it up his fucking ass. And the reason that I'm talking about this right now is that I just got out of a concert and one of the singer songwriters played a song that he said that they always play for their moms. And I don't remember the name of it, but what he said about it was that sometimes things happen to us when we're young and we're just not ready to grow up. And it really struck me in this fucking powerful way. That is exactly what happened to me. I was just not ready to grow up. And when that happened, I ended up leaving my house and going and living with my boyfriend and his family for two months. And the way that I have talked about what happened in my life because of that incident is that I felt like I got plucked out of my life and dropped into somebody else's life just in one stroke. I just got plucked out of my life and dropped into someone else's life. That was one of the worst parts of it was just feeling so alien and so like, what the fuck? The ground was just shaken from me. And what's almost worse than that happening is that for the next 10 plus years, I believed that I deserved that. I believed that my father's actions were okay and that I deserved it (laughs) and it wasn't until I was almost 30 years old that my brother's therapist said to me that was abuse that was abuse And she said, it only has to happen once. Abuse does not have to be something that happens more than once. And she also said to me, that was wrong. 
your father was wrong to do that. Your parents' job is to protect you and to keep you from harm. Your parents' job is not to harm you. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, what? I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. And I'm kind of surprised that I'm so emotional about this right now because I have processed this incident so many times. I have talked about it. I even not like several months after that therapist said to me, I got my own therapist and eventually we invited my dad to come into therapy sessions with me. And what I thought I wanted in inviting my dad to come into therapy with me was simply to say to him, this is what I experienced. And I wanted him to know what it did to me. And what I realized after the fact was that I actually wanted an apology from him, but he wasn't capable of that. So when he came into the first session, with the therapist, I said to him, well, dad, let's just start with a big kahuna. How about you trying to strangle me my senior year when I got a D in physics? And what he said was, well, Barbara, I'm sorry it had to come to that. And I was like, what? It had to come to that? Like the universe fucking made his hands go around my neck and there was nothing he could fucking do about it. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And my therapist said, like, it actually didn't have to come to that. And he goes, well, I was angry. And she said, yeah, well, you know, we make choices in our lives before anger even comes to us. And she said something about it being his job to take care of me and protect me and all that. And he ended up coming to a handful of sessions with me and I just couldn't do it because it was so fucking clear that there was no way that he was going to own anything about that incident. And that's when it sunk into me that what I was really seeking was an apology, but it also sunk into me that he was literally incapable of owning his part in things. And he was incapable of giving an apology. The other thing that I remember my therapist saying that same day, so he left the session early and she and I stayed for a few minutes to process it. And she said to me, your dad was like a a cold, dead fish. It was like you were talking about the weather. It wasn't like you are his daughter, his child, and you were telling him how traumatic this event was and how disturbing it was and how upset you were. He acted like you were saying, there's a tree over there. And she said, you know, it's been extremely rare that I have ever seen a person that was so emotionally detached from a situation. Now, this was a woman who was at the very end of her career as a therapist. So she was about to retire, like not that year, but the next year she did retire. So she had been doing this for a very long time. So I'm sharing this now because I I'm feeling these emotions and I want people to understand that though I may not express this depth of emotion most of the time on my podcast, like it's there. 
And it doesn't come out very often anymore because one of the things that I have done in my ACA recovery that has been so fucking powerful is I have released the burden of unexpressed grief. And I got that phrase because there is a piece of literature in the ACA program that's called the solution. And one of the lines in it is, when we release the burden of unexpressed grief, we slowly move out of the past. And what that means is that we need to grieve the difference between what we actually got as children that grew up in dysfunctional families and what we might have gotten had we grown up in a healthy, nurturing, loving, supportive family. And so all of my life, I was a crier, but I mostly did it in private and I cried in fucking volumes. And I would cry about whatever was going on. But what I can see now is that I was also crying from this deep well of sadness and grief about what I missed from growing up in a functional family. And because of the recovery and the ACA program and the way that the steps are laid out, I actually grieved and I knew what I was grieving. And so now I'm really not a crier anymore. Most of the time when I cry, it is because I am moved by something that is beautiful, that is an expression of love from God or an expression of love between humans or something like that. But every once in a while, I still can tap into it, back into it like this. And it's just not as deep as it used to be because this is the kind of thing that I would have cried for weeks about this. And I don't think I'm done today. I think I want to go home and do some reparenting. I think I'm actually going to make a connection with this new version of my dad that I came up with in the last few months. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then I'll put a link in the show notes to my previous sessions where I've talked about some of the reparenting that I've done. But essentially, I've made a connection with my dad who is deceased in such a way that he is a loving presence in my life that he never was when he was alive. And one of the things when I connected with him in this way that he said to me was, I got parenting lessons in heaven. So I will leave you with that for now. Okay, I'm back. So first, I want to say something about me thinking that I deserve that. It's not that I thought I was entirely at fault that my father strangled me or that I thought he didn't have a part in it. It's just that I justified his behavior because, well, if I had just done what he said, then he wouldn't have strangled me. Now, there's more. That was not the only time my father tried to strangle me. It happened again twice in April of my senior year. I had by then broken up with a boyfriend whose family I lived with and gotten a new boyfriend whose name was Pat. And my father fucking hated him and forbade me from dating him, which was very strange because my parents had never once in my life ever told me who I could or could not be friends with or date. So this was really unusual. I found out in the next couple of years that the reason for that was there was some bad blood between Pat's father and my father having to do with business and that my father looked down on their family because of their socioeconomic status 
and because there was some child welfare involvement when Pat and his sister were little. Because of that, my father would not allow me to use the family car when I was with this boy, which meant I had to walk when I went out with him. And I got home in the early hours of the morning after being out with Pat one night, and my dad was up waiting for me, and he was just incensed, and he fucking lost it again. This time, rather than rebelling against him and what he was doing, I just sort of wilted. And I just let him do whatever he was doing. And at one point, he had me wedged between my dresser and the wall while he was trying to strangle me. This time, my mom tried to come to my rescue and I heard her say, you said you would never do this again. And the reason I say this time my mom tried to rescue me is because that first time, my mother did nothing to stop him. And to this day, I still don't think that I have internalized the meaning of that. Now, however it ended, he said to me, you're grounded for life. Don't leave this house. Now, I later found out that my dad went in his car in search of Pat, who was walking home, more about what happened when he found Pat in a minute. I finally went to sleep, and later that day when I woke up, my dad was gone working at the pharmacy, and my mother and my brother were arguing about what had just happened, and I was like, I'm out of here. And I walked to my friend Lisa's house, but she wasn't home. So I kept walking to Pat's house because Lisa's was on the way to his house and he wasn't home either. So I started on my way home and I was still on Pat's street when Pat and his dad pulled up and Pat got out and he was limping. And I was like, why are you limping? And he said, oh, your dad didn't tell you. He fucking drove into me with his car. And I was like, holy shit. Then all of a sudden, my dad comes driving up over the hill. And I said to Pat, listen, if you love me, you will not do anything. Now, Pat was a big, strapping 17-year-old boy who probably could have torn my father apart. And I don't know what actually restrained him, but he didn't intervene when my dad fucking did it again. He had his hands around my neck and bent me over the hood of the car. And I remember saying to Pat, he's not hurting me, he's not hurting me. And as with the previous two times, I don't know how it stopped, but my dad told me, give me your keys to the house and your shit is going to be all over the lawn when you get back. And I obviously was really upset and went back to my boyfriend's house and his dad proceeded to talk about what an asshole my father was, which I really didn't need to hear at the time. And I knew there was no fucking way I was going to stay there because Pat's dad was a real piece of work. So I called my friend Allison. And I said, hey, can I stay at your house just tonight? Well, I ended up living with her family until the end of my senior year. At the very end of the senior year, on senior skip day, I was home with Allison skipping, and my mom called. And she said, I want to talk to you in person. And I asked what it was about. And she said she didn't want to talk about it on the phone. And I said, well, then I'm not coming. And she said, your father moved out last night. And I was like, I'll be right over. So I went over, we talked, I moved home that night. And I remember saying to my mom, listen, if you ever get back together with dad again, please give me at least a month's notice so I can find another place to stay because I clearly cannot live in the same house with that man. Now, the reason I said that is because my parents were separated for my entire sophomore year of high school. And I thought that was it and they were getting a divorce. But then all of a sudden one day, Mom was like, your dad is moving back in. And me and my brothers were like, what? We didn't even know you guys were fucking talking to each other. 
All right. So even though I knew that it was fucked up that he strangled me, I still continue to justify it. Like, well, if I hadn't stayed out all night, or if I hadn't dated Pat against my father's wishes, or if I hadn't left the house that afternoon when he forbade me to, then he wouldn't have strangled me again and again. Now, those things are true, but it still doesn't negate the fact that parents' job is to protect their children from those sorts of things, not to perpetrate those. When I got into recovery in ACA and learned that it was a trauma recovery program, I knew that these specific events were traumatic, but I didn't believe they qualified me for the program because they didn't happen in my childhood years. When I came to understand about relational trauma and that it occurs from the absence of good things happening, I got, I really got that I have relational trauma, but somehow those incidents didn't qualify me for the program in my mind, which is yet another example of how deeply entrenched my denial about the dysfunction was, as is the idea that I somehow deserve that shit. That is some serious fucking denial. The relational trauma is what happened over the course of my life that set into motion my patterns of denial about what's normal and not normal, what's acceptable and unacceptable. As you heard my therapist say in her comment about my dad being like a cold, dead fish, he was so emotionally detached that it was stunning to her. That's who and what I was dealing with as a father And that is the environment in which I grew up. If you're ready to finally have an enjoyable, relaxing summer doing things you really want to do, instead of always following other people's agendas, I have some openings for private clients right now. If you are really tired of saying yes to things you really don't want to do and being overly accommodating to others, this is for you. It's time to start accommodating yourself. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships and overwhelmed with all kinds of difficult feelings because of your interactions with others. If you'd like to get your life in order before the summer hits, go to barbchat.net and sign up for a free 30-minute call with me about my private coaching so we can get started right away. That way, you'll be done by summer. This is for people who are finally ready to make deep, lasting changes in their relationship patterns, including their relationships with themselves, their partners, family, friends, and colleagues. Go to barbchat.net. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're gonna love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higher power coaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. 
please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listen to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep, lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.